Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Real Deal Podcast. I am your host, Matt Marshall, and I am uh, I'm really excited. I say this pretty much for every guest, but that's because we have exciting guests on the podcast. That's the whole point. Trying to talk to exciting and interesting people so that you can hear their fascinating inside stories in their lives. And uh, with us today, with the big news of his move from Upton 187 crew to Edmonton Impact uh, late last week, is uh, the young star, up and coming, uh, Nick Laval. Nick, how you doing, bud? I'm uh, I'm doing well, Maddie. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty damn good myself. So, full yeah. disclosure, I'm a Nick Laval fan. For everyone out there, um, That's very flattering. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, uh, I don't. I'm not just saying that. I, you know, I've watched you play a lot of points the past two seasons. I didn't get to see you all season long because you guys did bounce back and forth between the champs True. and the challengers divisions. Um, but for where you're at in your paintball career, I like how you play the game, and I'm really interested to see uh, what you're going to do on impact and both where they're going to put you and, and how you could potentially develop as a player. So let's just get into I'm it. I'm just as excited as you, honestly. <laughs> nice. So so how was this? You know, we had exchanged texts back and forth, and, um, mm-hmm. and we had kind of talked, and you had said how this was, you know, that I've probably heard it a million times, which I definitely have, and I've definitely been through it, uh, but that this was the hardest decision you've ever had to make. So how, where did this come from, and, you know, how did this begin? I mean, where did you – were you looking to get a spot on a, a big team? Were you, you know, were you approached by somebody from, the, from Impact? Like, how, how exactly did you go about getting on Impact? Yeah, um, honestly, I've, I've never been looking. Um, this was something that – uh, kind of came out of the blue for me. Uh, it was one of those things like I, I was always kind of in denial of uh, trying to go anywhere else or that anyone else would even want to pick me up. And uh, I kind of got a phone call out of the blue from a uh, California number, and I was like, eh, I guess I should pick it up. And uh, it was Dave Baines, and uh, we had a little talk, and I uh, wasn't really even considering the option and uh after a few more uh calls between him and uh my family a few people I love I uh decided to make the jump over to impact yeah I I didn't think that I was as surprised as anybody um when I talked to Dave uh you know he had posted some sort of um you gotta let me know which day of two because uh are you talking you have, yes, Baines or you have, my uh yeah, Dave my... Painter as well. Okay. Well uh well Dave Baines had called me up and um and uh he had basically said he had put something up on Facebook about how, you know, some sort of sarcastic, like, oh, I can't wait to make this decision about what I'm gonna do next year. And and honestly right. with, with Dave you know, Dave's been flirting with retirement for years. Every every year that I've uh, watched Dave Baines, Dave Baines has re- flirted with retirement. And honestly, when uh, he had called me and talked to me beforehand, I had seen that Facebook post by him, and I was kind of excited because I thought he was going to ask if he wanted to, or if one eight seven was looking for a uh, a brand new coach. That so that that's kind of what you were thinking when you he's like, hey, yeah, what's that up? was this is Dave Baines. Uh, Exactly. I was well. I was hoping. That's what I was hoping. Yeah. Well, you know, he. I mean, Dave. He could hang it up at any point, and still, you know, when we eventually do have Pampa Hall of Fame, he'll be in it. Um, oh, I mean, for he's sure. had a he's had a badass ten year career. You know, plus ten year plus career, and you know, Dave's a legend in the sport for a reason. Man, he earned it the hard way, and and uh, and you know, he he's earned his nickname the Beast. 
So, yeah. you know, sure. and, and, you know, Dave is, he's one of those great guys that, and that's kind of, he's one of the reasons I'm excited to see you come on impact and, you know, and then also work with some of the other guys that have been around a long time on that team. But, uh, but yeah, so he had, so he had called me up, I'd hit him up and said, Hey, you know, are you, are you really, are you, are you making some sort of decision? And come on, man, you gotta let me know about these sort of things. <laughs> and then, so he calls me up and, uh, and he's like, all right, well, all right, we're making some moves and we went a little unconventional. Um, you know, we could have, picked up some you know because typically speaking when a team like impact goes looking for players or is uh not maybe not even necessarily looking but you know taking offers from or requests from other players to come on team normally it's a some sort of veteran a team that a right, you know, guy right, that's right. you know that's that's proven him you know, to play on some winning teams or that sort of thing so he's he's like we went a little unconventional he's like we picked up uh ryan martin and nick laval and when he said your name i was like no way, man! You got Nick Laval off one eight seven. I didn't. I didn't think that that was. I didn't even think that that was a possibility. So I was rather shocked. Um, and then we, but I, then I told him because, you know, and and uh, I was like, I think that that you know that's going to be great for your team because I'm interested to see what Nick could do on a big powerhouse team when he doesn't have to worry about you know the stuff he has to worry about on one eight seven. Um, so what was it about the opportunity or the change that? Um, that really kind of elicited an emotional response from you, right? Uh, everything you said definitely was a was a drawing factor. I mean, uh, something for me that's always been difficult is is playing a lot of roles and um, not necessarily a hundred percent being able to focus on everything that would make me individually a better player. And also, I really have a problem with uh, teams or individuals that have a really big ego and that are looking to uh, only propel themselves or um, kind of put down anyone else on their team in any way. And the way David presented it to me and the way that when he said that he was looking for going in a different direction and he was looking for all these these new players, these players that that I respect and that I know that haven't been in the game long enough to to believe that uh, their shit don't stink, if you will. Mm-hmm. That um, I thought that th- it could definitely be a sorry about that. It could definitely be um, a recipe for for a, a really good group of guys to get together and bring their experience together and learn a few things while teaching a few things and make a, a really strong paintball team. Had it been your dream? Like what was, what is your paintball dream? You know, when you kind of visualize, because <laughs> you know, I, sometimes I ask guys, well, was it your dream to play on a top pro team or help your buddies go to become a top pro team? But what, I, instead of asking a specific question, I think I'd want to keep it a little bit more open-ended. Like, what yeah, is yeah. your paintball dream? You know, when I was when I first started playing paintball when I was like 12 years old, that was probably my dream of, of, of being a pro paintball player and traveling and all that stuff. And um, that all, all kind of fell by the wayside when I realized that the, the thing that I liked to do most in paintball is just is is make the right move at the right time. Like I I really don't live for anything else in paintball. Like the jerseys, the guns, the the fans, whatever it is. The only thing that I really really like to do is make the right move at the right time and that is like where I get off 100%. Mm-hmm. So the whole playing for a team that has this name, playing a team that make playing for a team that makes this amount, playing for a team whatever. 
I'm just I'm really all about like the the thrill of of that that one best move in the game. So, I mean, for me, I just see it as an opportunity to play with a a different group of guys that might create a different group of openings and maybe give me that that thrill a few more times. Well, let's I mean, I definitely want to kind of pick your brain a little bit more about this particular move because this is a position that's I think interesting to some people who are out there on other teams, maybe thinking like, well, you know, what what would I do if I was in Nick's situation? Or, mm. you know, what do I want out of my own paintball journey? And uh, and what am I trying to achieve? So I, I definitely kind of want to talk to you a little bit more about um, where you think you're going to fit on an impact and then also, you know, mm-hmm. 187 as well. But but since you had brought it up... It, it, one it, question it, at a time, Maddie. One question I, at a time. I'm going to throw like 15, 16 <laughs> questions at you. So if you could just remember all those. It's the and right. then, And you need to all. answer them in, in alphabetical order too as well. But I'm not going to put them in alphabetical order. Uh, so, so. It's all right. I just picked up a pen. Let's do this. <laughs> all right. First question. Do you think aliens exist? Uh, oh. Statistically, <laughs> got to. Have to. Right? I'm thinking for sure there's got to be aliens that yeah. exist. I actually just want, I know it's a little sidetrack, but what the hell? No, I love the sidetrack. Um, Let's do it. Yeah, sometimes the sidetracks are the best in the podcast. So, <laughs> so no, I was watching, there's this uh, Canadian defense minister who recently... Um, oh my God, I saw this video. Continue. Did you see? Yeah, so his name's Paul, I believe if someone wants to Google it, it's Paul, his, and he's got a crazy last name. It's, uh, it's like... Um, the way to remember it is like hell yeah or Heller. It's Heller is his last name. I but think it is Heller. Yeah, yeah it's I Heller. Right. But I remembered it as like because I was like I got to remember this guy's name, and I was like how am I going to remember? That? I always try to like associate something like really weird. Um, oh, which reminds me of another really crazy thing that I heard the other day. But uh, but yeah, so so I was like oh hell, like oh aliens are for real? Hell yeah, that's how I remembered <laughs> it in my head, and so that's how I like. I yeah, this guy with some inside knowledge is telling me that they're real. So, yeah. I mean, it's, he knows a little more than I do, and I'm feeling that they're real. So, so I, but see, I watched it, I, you know, and I've seen a couple things with this guy, and uh, and and I and I was kind of thinking, like, man, I don't. I mean, he's old now, and basically, so for anyone that's not familiar with this guy, or in case you didn't pause this and go look it up. Um, Essentially, uh, he's the ex-Canadian defense minister. So, you know, this is a highly important big level guy that literally was in charge of the military for Canada um, during the Cold War. And he came out recently in his old age and basically said, yeah, aliens are real. We've known about it forever. And there's like multiple races of aliens. And he starts breaking down. And, and for anyone that's read or, you know, and who, who knows if this is true? You know what I mean? There's no you know way. What? To, there's no you way You don't know if it's true, but regardless, it's fun I to talk believed about. that he believed that he was telling the truth. I think that's a good point. He, you, he definitely seems very sincere and cognate. Okay. Like he's definitely not lacking mental you know, faculties, I believe. Um, I mean, he's older, so he's, you know, a little, little stagnant in his delivery. But, you know, come on, let's give the guy a break. He's, I mean, I don't know how I think he's like in his 80s. Um, but, uh, I mean, um, maybe he's, maybe he's 45 and just the, uh, the stresses of holding in that secret for so long made him look like he was 80. Yeah. You know, it's, it was, it was crazy. Um, but I saw some commenter on one of his, like, uh, on one of the videos that said something, cause I mean, if anyone's, um, kind of read stuff about this field before, I mean, there's, you know, definitely specific, you know, the, you know, the, the races that have been around, like the, I can't even remember how to pronounce it, but, um, it's like the. I want to say necrophilia, but that's definitely not it for everybody. Bosley, <laughs> no, it's not. Don't Google that. Yeah, Don't do not Google, Google that, that or the NSA will be knocking on your door. No, but uh, 
Um, but it was like, I think it's Nephilim or whatever. So, but anyway, he was going on about multiple races of aliens. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so crazy. But, uh, but I mean, and again, who knows if it's true, but it's fun to talk about. That's, that's, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But, um, it's better than talking about what's on, um, on E! News lately, you know? Oh, God, I hate all that stuff. <laughs> I also, Absolutely. for the record, hate watching sitcoms. I know, like, they're, yeah, Modern Family's funny, and, you know, Seinfeld was you, cutting edge Your life time. doesn't have a laugh track? No, I wish oh, it did. Uh, and also, uh, me and Carl Markowski, when we were playing on uh, Excessive, we used to joke that wouldn't it be funny if life was a musical? And so we'd like just literally go through like five minutes of life as if, as if it were a musical, um, which, you know, I mean, as you know, <laughs> one of the things about the paintball adventures, you spend so much damn time on the road that you end up doing silly, silly things like yeah. pretending life is a musical. But uh, it's another one of the reasons I like Carl Markowski. <clears throat> um, but... Uh, Oh, and uh, also the, the, the crazy thing when I was thinking about that memory thing, um, there was this guy that came out with this book recently, and he was a, I think he was like a journalist that went to study um, and, and look at, but he's like whip smart guy, like really highly intelligent, but um, he went to study the, there was like, because memory, like they have competitions, like people when you know, you meet people like, oh yeah, I play pro paintball, and they're like, no way, there's professional paintball, that's crazy, and it's like, yeah, man, I can't believe I'm still having this conversation with people 15 years later, but yes, there is sure. professional paintball. Um, but, uh, but they have these, these, uh, memory competitions where they have to do like mental memory gymnastics and memorize like packs or packs of playing cards in sequential order and like, or, you know, randomize, but then remember which one it is and like all these different things. And so he trained all year long in order to go and take part in this competition and he ends up winning it. And so he wrote a book and I read the book, but I listened to his, really? yeah, I listened to his, uh, his, um, his, he has a Ted talk about it. Ted talks. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to off air send me that because I'd love to hear it for sure. It was fascinating, but ba- basically he was describing about how, and I really feel that the game. You know, this is another one of those things where when you're playing the game of paintball, it's it's, it's these are these are not a direct comparison, but I think it's very similar because your brain is so elastic, and that's mm. one of the reasons it's like Scott Kemp right now is trying to learn how to play the guitar. And learning to play a musical instrument is like, and you know, as we all know, Scott Kemp is jacked out of his mind. Well, and I mean, he learned to play one, one part of his body. I mean, I completely believe that he has the mental tenacity to learn how to play another part of his body. So he, he's I'm lear- sure he can handle it. He's, he's learning really, really fast. And, uh, and he's actually like, you know, getting better really cause he's very dedicated to it. I mean, he's applying the principles that got him Jack and got him really good at paintball to exactly. trying to learn how to play the guitar. And that's, that's the lesson there. It's that, you know, it's it's not necessarily rules, it's principles, things that have worked in the past and will work in the future. And so, yes, if you were able to get good enough at something like, you know, in your mental pathways to be really good at paintball, but that's the thing about the game. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that and that's why I'm looking forward to seeing you on Impact is that I, w- once you have, you know, a couple years under your belt, it's the whole 10,000 hour thing, man. I mean, you got to spend a lot of time behind the gun um, in order to... Uh, to really start seeing the game like the greats see it and and that you know really does slow down I really believe it slows down your time perception and uh mm-hmm. and you're able to make those you know like you had said your favorite part is is seeing that game and I, and I honestly think that's one of your strengths as a player I think with I saw that more out of you your first year than I did out of this year uh mm-hmm. out of you this year um but uh, but it's definitely there, and you ha- you do have an innate ability to to see openings in the game, and you and then have the, you know the the ability to take that leap of faith and try to make something happen in those situations. But that's so I kind of want to pick your brain on that too. But so real quick on this the memory thing. So basically, like how he describes 
uh, how you memorize these certain things is that um, you have to create a, a mental palace and uh, and you go in you literally like because people remember think you, you like if you use your memory as uh, with visual cues so you it's like a like a hierarchy absolutely so you walk in so he used his childhood home as you know a place where he would store certain bits of information and so it's but it's fascinating I'll send it to you for sure um, I can't remember the guy's name or I'd let that was a great know. a great lead in by the way. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking about all day exactly what I was going to do. But that just came to my mind. I was like, oh, man. But but the point of the matter is, is that, you know, just like with memory or just like guitar or it doesn't matter what the activity is, is that you can train your mind to to exist in these, you know, really heightened states. And uh, like for, for with are, guitar. Are you reading uh, Tim Ferriss's books? Is that is that where this is coming from? The, the Elasticity? I don't even know who Tim Ferriss is. Oh, well, you, you definitely got to get into that. He's... What what you're saying right now is uh, is almost verbatim, and I'm sure you'd love it. But um, exactly, uh, any any sort of emotion applied to wanting to learn something, y- you can do it. It doesn't matter who who you are, what your previous knowledge is. If you if you actually care about something, you can learn about absolutely anything. Yeah, I I, I agree with that 100, percent man. I mean, I, I had just a quick story. I, I had uh, got to about age 30 before I decided I wanted to play the guitar. And I had convinced myself that I couldn't do it because my because my father, I come from a rather musical family, grew up, you know, when we would have family reunions, all my aunts and uncles would either, they all either sing and or play the guitar and some of them do it both and some do it really well. And oh, so, so you were the uh, you were the runt of the musical family. Well, it, well, it did, but it didn't. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I had convinced <laughs> off myself. The bat, off the I bat. had well, and I had convinced myself that I was because there wasn't really, unlike in my uh, my parents' generation, and I really feel this is kind of something that I mean, it's different for everyone. I, I don't want to give it, you know, say that our generation, our parents didn't necessarily make us do this, but you know, like my father had to take music lessons. Like, I mean, he got pushed by, a, you know, my grandmother who's God, God rest her soul. She's an amazing human being. She's got a crazy story that I could tell at some point too, about our family history. Um, but, but basically, uh, she pushed her kids to play instruments. Um, and there's been a lot of studies now, actually, I know it had this one fascinating documentary about the developments of, of, of uh, uh, human babies' brains, uh, pre-verbal and about how important um, speaking and, and playing music is for children, almost even when they're still in the womb. So I'd sent that to like Davey and uh, Davey Williams and Nick Cuba, who both just had children. Um, but awesome. but so essentially, um, you know, so they were forced to play music instruments, which made them all, you know, to bring out the latent musical abilities they had. So, but I mean, any- I mean what they say about uh, knowing more than one language, knowing music which is another language just completely out of the box of of what you'd say out of your mouth i can't see that not helping you in other aspects of life yeah and and it's it really does open up pathways like for instance like the human brain has there's and i i'm gonna butcher these statistics i'm not a scientist but <laughs> i do like to read but anyway so essentially there was um in the human mind when it's born has many, many more potential pathways than it does by the time you reach the age of 40. And what happens is that if you do not use these certain pathways at certain ages, the brain makes these draconian Nazi-like uh, cuts to these, these, to these ties that, that exist in your brain because they're not being used. And yeah, yeah. the brain is also very, like we said before, brain's very elastic and, and it de- definitely, there's been a lot of, you know, crazy anecdotal story, stories and scientific stuff about I'm gonna, I'm gonna compare it to uh, if your foot falls asleep and if you leave it asleep, your foot's gonna fall off. 
Because it's the same part. Parts of your brain do the same exact thing. Yeah, and exactly. And so, um, and there, because there was this one landmark study study of this, and it's tragic. It's a terrible, terrible story, but it is really interesting, and it was kind of groundbreaking for uh, the study of uh, language capacity in human beings. And basically, they in Germany, I think it was Germany, they had found this this poor girl who had literally been chained to a uh, a table for I think it was fifteen years. By oh her, by God. her parents, and so her parents literally these evil, horrible creatures, who deserve to rot in hell if it exists. They literally chained their child to a table and had her sit in a chair in a room and did not speak to her or have any communication with her whatsoever until she was found essentially and saved uh, from these terrible demonic parents. And uh, and so they and they and but they look the researchers looked at this this case with this poor tragic girl um, and they thought, all right, well, this is, we got to teach her how to talk because she was nonverbal. Um, she had yeah. never learned, she had never heard any speech, never, never been taught to speak, had no. Is there, is there any background? Why is there, were they told this by someone they trusted or did they just do this out of pure amusement for themselves? Um, the, uh, the, I just the, don't dis- understand the, dis- why. the discussing parents. Is that your asking? They're, well, I mean, hey, I, I I just feel like that that's a one-sided answer, you know. I mean, I'm I'm that's a terrible thing to do. I I completely agree with that, but I'm just trying to trying to find some understanding in why someone would do that to someone. But uh, well, there's terrible, I, disgusting. Sounds great. Well, there's definitely. I mean, dude, there's just evil people in the world, you know. Like, mm-hmm. and so I mm-hmm. I really believe that there are just straight because I've had experience with this and and and. And it's a very, it's not a black and white thing. It's very gray. So I do agree. I, and they didn't, and in this particular, this is a documentary, they didn't really have, uh, there wasn't much context that I can remember for that specific story. I, I don't really remember exactly why, what the what was the prime motivating factor other than just scumbagness for these parents mm-hmm. to do this to their kid. So, but, but the, because um, the, basically the reason why they brought this up within the, the context of this documentary was that, um, so these, because these language uh, people were these language scientists were like, all right, well, we 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 got to teach this girl how to talk. You know, I mean, human beings have an amazing capacity for language. It's one mm-hmm. of our differentiating you know factors of from us between every, all other animals. Even though there's been a lot of stuff about that, that's like kind of getting a little dolphins, bit... blackfish, yeah, exactly, yeah, blackfish. But we'll continue. But we continue. We, we digress. We digress. But uh, but yeah. So um, so they started to try to teach this girl how to talk, and it actually ends up in this really. It's a tragic story because of this. Is that um, they could not teach her how to talk. Those the that part of her really? brain had been permanently damaged, and um, though she was starting to make a little bit of progress, she ended up not being able to um, to to speak. Um, From- and strictly lack of use yeah apparently that's oh. that's what it, that's what this particular documentary so what is what does that say for gorillas that you can teach them sign language so that that part of their brain is active yet this girl who's been trained to a table can no longer learn how to speak yeah and 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 i don't know if i think i don't know if she can speak through sign language i, I can't remember that part but it was basically like it was the verbal part of the communication that uh that oh, really, okay okay it was verbal communication that they so she had a sense of understanding and communication but the the verbal part was left out yeah and she wasn't you know this girl wasn't stupid i mean she wasn't um you know wasn't uh, uh mentally challenged 
But um, that's horrific. Yeah, it's horrific. And and then that's the story essentially is that she ended up getting so frustrated with the fact of what had happened to her and the understanding of it and had like another breakdown or I can't remember what it was, but basically, you know, she's still alive and institutionalized somewhere in Germany, I think. And, uh, and they, they can't teach her how to talk. And she actually doesn't even try to talk anymore because, Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. And, um, but so, so yeah, so you're, so, so for the, with the guitar, um, I, I then so then I, I realized that my, um, I out of all the grandchildren or all of the you know all of my cousins that no one plays guitar and so I realized like when I was 30 I was like well man if somebody doesn't in my generation doesn't learn how to play the guitar then this fun cool thing that I totally did not appreciate until I got older it was kind of you know comical almost we'd get together and sing you know I and mean, that's like you know, like, mm-hmm. we're like kumbaya mm-hmm. you know I mean, we're not singing kumbaya but I mean we're singing like old country songs and folk songs and like my my, all my aunts and uncles are, you know, products of the sixties. And, uh, but anyway, so, um, so, but the very first, my father and I love him to death and he's a great guy, but he's not the best teacher in the world. And he's the guy that like explains things once. And if you don't get it, then he's, he gets frustrated with you because you're <laughs> stupid and can't figure it out. And it's not him. The one time teacher. Yeah. Oh, totally. He'll be, you know, and this went for everything. Like, uh, him trying to teach me how to drive a stick shift ended up in me walking five blocks home because uh, I just we just got so frustrated with each other. Uh, and I bet then, you never forgot how to drive a stick shift. Well, no, I I didn't even learn from him. My buddy taught really? me. How, really? Nah, my buddy taught me how to drive a stick because I could not learn from my dad that we didn't have that type of relationship. And so, uh, and then so with guitar, I tried to you know I think I was like fourteen. I went to my dad and I was like, hey, will you teach me how to play guitar? And he was like begrudgingly kind of like, okay. And then so his first lesson, which, you know, makes sense, is like how to tune the guitar. And uh, and so um, that lesson ended horribly and it ended up with me quitting the guitar thinking I'm dumb musically and there's no way I'm ever going to be able to learn how to do this. Right. So fast forward 30 years and again, it goes back to what's your motivation? You know, I mean, how bad how bad mm-hmm. do you want to be good at paintball? Why? You know, like where where does that motivation lie in you? And I, I truly believe that if there's motivation there, that to me is way more important than talent because absolutely, you know, that's you, step number one to anything. Oh, it's I think it's like step number one through 100 and 101 would be like your talent level. You know, you know, what? I, I would have to agree with that. I think motivation overcomes all odds. I, I totally agree. And then so at 30, I picked the guitar back up, determined to learn how to play it. And thank God for the Internet is that you don't even need a teacher anymore that's physically there with you. But I also mm-hmm. had a couple friends. Um, one of my roommates at the time is an awesome guitar player. Whit Pierce actually used to play in the Iron Kids before he went to play pro baseball. And pro baseball players travel around a lot. And a lot of them, um, a lot of people don't know, but a lot of baseball players play guitar. And, uh, really? Yeah. And it's actually like big in the minor leagues and in the pros too is because they spend so much time on the road and they're around each other. So a lot of them had picked up guitars and then by osmosis, it's like, oh, this dude's rocking on the guitar. Let me, how do you play an A? All right, with the G. And then they get addicted and then just, you know, so... So he That's was a- probably the most interesting phenomena I've heard in the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But uh, so lucky I had him around and had the internet. And then lo and behold, I can play the guitar now, you know? And so, um, and, but in just the other day, uh, but this is another good why I'm kind of excited to see, you know, what your, because op- I believe you have a pretty, you know, we haven't, you know, we're not boys, we, but we've definitely spoken a decent amount. But right, I, I right. really like your attitude in the things that you've said, because I, I think that you have that seeking, searching mind to try to go out there and acquire whatever skill or look at anyone that, you know, you never know where you're going to get the lesson from. And, right. Uh, it's, I, I honestly, I, I think that you're touching on something that, uh, that more people need. And that's, that's a, uh, an, a willingness to lose, if you will, like, 
like being okay with being judged and being okay with losing because if if you don't put yourself out there for stuff like that uh you don't grow outwardly or inwardly so yeah and it, and it's how you deal with the frustration and uh and it it's come up in podcasts before but you know it, it it's it's definitely the defining characteristic of of paintball because you know right, absolutely you win so uh, so little you lose so frequently and you win yeah. so little and it doesn't matter even if you know even like look at Houston Heat they won four out of ten tournaments my God exactly that and is they are insane. the champions and they undisputed yeah and and of and they won three events in in a year and so that's like the only time ever that a team has won more events than it lost. But oh, uh, but paintballers would be terrible, terrible boxers because because they would all end up with Parkinson's and they would it would just be a, a bad time. Oh, totally. You know, but but the but I've noticed that it is that mix of of uh, of just stubborn mental toughness that is it, that has impressed me about, you know, paintball players of all ages from all over the world at, at many different levels of skill. And to me, that is what separates paintball players in my mind. It's not really so much. Um, what level you're at, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's, uh, that's, that's part of it, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, there's, I have a lot of admiration for anyone that's been in the game and has enough skin in the game to have moved up to a really high level. Um, but a lot of that comes from opportunity, you know, I mean, it's when you look at like the phenomenon of dynasty. Um, and when I was reading outliers from Malcolm Gladwell, I realized that, you know, dynasty is, is huge outlier within the sport of paintball. But, you know, anyone that's read that book knows that, you know, success is a, is a very chaotic and interesting mix of factors. And it very, it, it very, very is. And so, and yes, it definitely has, uh, you know, how talented, quote unquote, you are at a specific thing does play a factor in, in how good or how far you end up going with that particular, you know, whatever it is. Um, but really, a lot of times, especially for the re- and that's why this book's called Outliers, because he's not just he's not talking about just you know, your, your average everyday person that was relatively yeah. successful. He's talking about like people who literally changed entire industries or who are monumentally successful. But then let's, let's, um, extrapolate that even further to a team of people where it's, it's a culmination of their entire willpower by each individual putting it into a team. It's not, it's not just one person doing something. Like, oh, million Dynasty as an advent, as an example is, a bunch of guys that decided to put all their willpower into one thing. Whereas um, if you're looking at like Tiger Woods, that's one guy, you know, it's, it's, it's almost more impressive to see a team that has stayed together and that has done that much damage um, than, than any other sport that I can think of. And that's what makes and to me and exactly. And that just makes the appreciation even that much more heightened. You know, it's like not only did I, I personally get to watch them go through this, a long, amazing journey that they've been on and are still currently on. Um, but to kind of understand that, you know, the dynasty phenomenon was this really special moment that happened within our sport because you had this really interesting and motivated group of guys that all came together from mm-hmm. California and they all had these, you know, really high level of talent, really high level of skill. But these are some tenacious, stubborn little assholes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these guys are like, and these are some of my best friends, but it's, it's like, uh, it was just really, I mean, they are a special group of guys because of that. And also, but I've, I've stood next to a bunch of them. I think that you're, uh, I think you're right on with the, the stubborn little assholes. Like they, they're, there are some guys that would, uh, I mean, they, they might come up to, uh, 
maybe my mid waist, but they they definitely their their attitudes definitely go uh, above my head as of right now. Yeah, no, I mean they they're ten feet tall, man. You know, yeah, yeah, I, mean, I love really it, are. I love it. Yeah, and and so, but they also happen to be in the game at a very specific time. Um, so you know, if that group had come along at a different transition point within the industry or the sport as as a whole, um, things might have been a little different. You know, but but the fact that they were in this part of the world that. Um, we're, and we're surrounded by all the guys that had, had got to a certain really high level um, and really pushing the bounds of the sport for, you know, 10 years. And then they came up in that area and then they were able to see. And then the game also changed itself. So the game changed. Right. and you, So it was this really kind of really cool mix of, of, uh, of elements that all came together to create that. Um, so it, that's an interesting thing. Man, we've gone on a. This has been probably the most tangent-ridden podcast I think I've ever done. I love it. Continue <laughs> the tangents. Yes, um, but uh, well, let's get let's get back because um, well, man, we could just do this for five hours. But uh, right. I, I want to hear a little bit more. Let's talk about one eight seven. And so, what was it like? What were those phone calls like to have to call these guys? And um, I mean, I, re- I read Dave's. Uh, um, social put up Dave's response, Paint, which Painter, I, yeah, Dave Painter. Painter sorry, Painter. No, yeah, there's two Daves in this in this right. interesting story. So Dave Painter, the owner of 187, it, it said something, but it seemed like, you know, he was very cordial and and totally understanding. It seemed very, um, it was an awesome response from an owner. Um, and uh, so yeah. so how did that go down? Like how how were those conversations? Uh, well, I mean, for the people that know me, I'm not typically a uh, an emotional guy in any way. I like to uh, either a be serious or be use jokes um to kind of that's that's just the way I roll and when I called my uh my team especially some of the ones I'd been with for um I mean five plus years it was it was almost uh surprisingly emotional for me and um I I felt like that it was a de- such a big decision for not only myself but the team that I think I thought each single person on the team deserved a call from me individually and an individual talk in their own time with me to tell me what they either were, um, what was what were the positive and negatives about the decision I was about to make, and um, I actually am in or was in the the great place where I could actually talk to my team before I even made the decision. They actually helped me made, make the decision. Um, I got to talk each to each one of them and uh, every single one of them individually without talking to them, each other, without coming to a consensus, told me that this would be the right decision and that there was no hard, hard feelings and honestly, at that point, at the end of talking to all those guys and talking to my coach, Noel, and my, my previous owner, Dave Painter, I really realized how much of a family I'd been part of. And it only made it uh, that much sweeter and easier to uh, transition into the, the thing that I'm about to go into 110% with uh, the new team that I'm about to be a part of. And... Uh, the way that it was presented to me from from the get go, I felt like I was I was leaving one family and entering another, and I don't think that uh, anyone in the world has enough families. So uh, all I'm looking to do from then on was uh, just just add family members to to my group, you know, add to the tribe. Yeah, well, that's a that's a that's pretty amazing, man, because 
God, that could have gone the exact opposite way. I have heard it this. Totally could have. You know, like totally. you said, you know, you said I've heard the story a million times. I definitely haven't heard it a million, but you know, this is a current theme. This is a this is a, an on, and it will be as long as there are paintball teams, and uh, you know, guys are always questioning, like, man, is you know, if even if you're the most diehard guy, and you might not be questioning if you're going to leave, well, there's probably other guys on your team that you might have to deal. Everyone has to deal with this at some point. And, and so and I, I honestly believed that I was the most diehard guy. I had uh, talks over and over again with multiple team members about how like leaving was never a possibility. And uh, I had honestly never been put in the position to where I really, really, really had to think about it. The things that uh, I would learn, the things that I would I would gain, the experiences I would gain. And it it all came down to. Uh, to the right decision for me and my family. Yeah, and because God, what a tough decision too. Because especially if you're if you're the guy preaching loyalty, and then you're the one, yeah. that, you know, because I because you're probably gonna you're gonna have your fair share. Especially because if I was, and I am a, an Upton One Eight Seven Crew fan because I think it's an awesome story. Um, sure. But if I was from, you know, but I'm, you know, the, it's a different position. But if I was if I was a kid from New England right now, I'd be so pissed at you. <laughs> Oh God! I I was uh, ignoring <laughs> my Facebook inbox for about two days because my phone was blowing up off the hook from Facebook messages from individuals, which I actually appreciate that most people message me individually. I felt like that was that I was approachable enough that they could do that. So I ended up answering all of them. But either way, it was a, a tough two days of. Uh, Talking to New England fans. <laughs> oh man! So what were they saying? Were, there, were I'm sure there was some that were like, "Hey, good, God bless," you know. Uh, and I'm sure there was the because, hey, I, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> you look at the top comment on Paintball Access, and I think that that says it all. That was like my worst nightmare of a comment. Uh, well, you but, know, uh, it, you know, it's like, it's like, um, uh, off the sidelines and into the limelight. You know, people are really are really worried about being judged and it's really easy to judge other people. And, uh, I think that people that are willing to step into the limelight are, are kind of putting themselves out there to be judged by other people. And really the only people that are judging them are themselves. And I think that I'm at a point in my own life that really the only, the biggest judge, the, the most crucial, hardest judge for me is me. And I think that I was ready to take on that kind of, uh, that kind of hate and or love. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to look at it, man, because yeah, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it really is against, it's just, you know, you against you. And, <laughs> uh, I love that most deaf song. I against I great song, but, I, uh, sorry. um, but, uh, but, it, but yes, you, you do have to understand that as, a, a, you know, making a move like this, it, you know, it, it's inevitable that you're going to draw the ire of certain people. And, uh, and that's just part of being out there. And then anyone that has the courage to, you know, whatever, uh, write a song, a play, um, take a promotion over some, you know what I'm saying? Whatever. It doesn't matter yeah, for what sure. it is, is that you have to understand that, um, you know, you're not, no one, no one sails through life completely loved by, and, and, and by every single human being that they come across. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, shit, man, the, the internet is filled with these memes. This is something you see every day. If you go on Instagram, it's, you know, somebody talking yeah. about hater this I mean, or hater that or whatever, but it's, it is just part of the deal. 
Exactly. You know, like I've uh, I went to school for graphic design. And I work for as a graphic designer right now, and um, I, I, that's the the modern art the modern artist as I would see it. And uh, so I think that it's a big culmination of me being able to put something out there, like like something that you really believe in. That's you, whether it be music or art or poetry, something like that. And uh, being able to take the criticism, and I think last year, as you were saying, that wasn't as strong of a year for me because I was I was still dealing with that kind of like uh, that that worry of being judged and that like f- that weight on the shoulders of of needing to succeed. Resistance. But the resistance, yeah, as we talked about, resistance. It's the worst, and uh, it's something that everyone needs to overcome. And I think that the the ability to 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 punch your ego in the face and say that hey this resistance isn't going to take me down and the uh, the ability to kind of just brush off those uh, those comments and and any kind of negativity that comes your way because really at the end of the day as you said I versus I and uh, I think that that's that's a big part of it and that's what I'm looking forward to going into next season it's 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 not a uh, a me carrying anyone or at least, and I don't think that I ever carried 187 crew. Those guys are all individuals and of their own right, but there's definitely a, uh, a kind of a, a freedom of being able to play a position and to be able to make it mine and to be able to, to do the best or to play the best paintball that I can play and not just the, the paintball that my team needs me to play, which I think, uh, Playing for for a team with such depth is it kind of gives you that that ability to play your own great paintball and not the 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 pressure of having to play uh, the position that is that your team needs you to be in because the, this spot is empty or or something like that. Yeah, that's like uh, yeah, it's like Ryan Greenspan on Dynasty. You know, I mean, he's constantly has to play a position where he has to play it because no one else on the team will play it. Well, and, I mean, uh, and you he, were kind of he's a unique case. I love watching Ryan play because of, uh, I'm all about, I mean, granted, I, I'm a, uh, someone that would coach and or captain a team. Um, but I always preached making good decisions and paintball, I think is all about good decisions. And sometimes you need to harness yourself or unleash yourself. And Ryan is the perfect example of someone who makes good decisions. He's someone that um, he'll, he'll either hold himself back when he needs to or he'll attack when he needs to. So I think that he's, he's a great example if you're going to bring it up. Well, he's very versatile, and I think that you could evolve to be incredibly versatile too. I think you've shown that you are versatile, um, but when you are constantly in the position that you're on on 187, um, you know, again, like, like you just said, you know, I mean, you're, you're in a situation where, you know, you're, you're not – the one on it, you, you don't get that like dedicated attack role or, you know, I mean, you're kind of doing, right, more, right. You're, you're involving and you come up with game plans and that sort of stuff. And thank God for Noel, take some of that weight off of you. Thank um, God for Noel. Yeah. That's and, right. uh, and, and I, I do agree. I think that, uh, but I think another, well, I think that 187 has a healthy future. I, I, and I, I really like how Dan Zaleski played last year um, in some Can't of the points. Not. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think that he uh, evolved a little bit last year and, and is totally headed in the right direction. Can't wait to see what he does in 2014. Yeah, I, I absolutely completely agree with you. And I hope that, uh, I mean, after long conversations with him, I hope he is super motivated just to kill people next year. 
Yeah, because that kid's got legit talent. And I mean, I, I can't speak to his work ethic or his mindset because I mean, right. he seems like a great dude. I've just I haven't had that much com- that many conversations with him. But every time I do, mm-hmm. I like what I hear. Um, but uh, but another thing about you going to impact is that you know it, it's kind of an affirmation almost in one eight sevens program because um, to it, it's it's it sucks on one hand because it's always tough for younger teams to keep their stars long enough to become top level teams themselves. Um, that is very, very difficult. And that jury saw on that. I mean, that is so hard to do, um, for so many different, that's like a whole hour long podcast in and of itself, but, um, but it's very difficult to do. So it does, you going to impact is kind of proves that rule almost a little bit where the best guys from teams are always going to get, you know, cherry picked by the big bankrolls and the really dominant teams that have chances to win tournaments at any event that they plan. But to kind of counter that a little bit, it does also prove the system. And I think that, you know, it's like, man, you know, I mean, if they raised a Dan Zaleski, a Max Taylor, Nick Laval, or any of the other ballers you have on your team, like if I was young and from that area of the world, I, and, and anyone that's at, like anyone I talk to that's either an older pro that wants to get back into it or a younger guy who's coming up and they're in your area of the world, I'm like, you need to somehow find your way to the 187 camp and just try to get, <laughs> try to get reps in and prove yourself, dude. Just try to get in, try to get reps in and prove yourself. You know, I mean, that- yeah, I think you found the perfect positive and negative in that situation. And I completely agree with with both of them. But the positive being um, I, I completely see uh, as we were talking about earlier, the um, sorry about that again. Um, yeah, popular guy the, over there, Nick. I'm sorry. So, uh, I know. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> but the 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 willpower of someone really wanting to learn something it doesn't really matter what it is if you are into paintball go find yourself the best place to play paintball around you and i if you're in new england 187 is definitely the the place to be and go regardless of of an, an individual leaving or staying it's like if you're if you're from um like tennessee go go to the cep's field you know Go find the best people around you and go get beat by them. And that's the best way to get better at anything. Yeah. And also that's how you earn your chance. You create Absolutely. that opportunity for yourself. I mean, man, there are so many that's is that story is so prevalent in the paintball narrative, it's not even funny. I mean, you know, the way Oswaldo, who's from Brazil, ended up getting on the Ironman for a couple of years is that when he would come up great to, guy too yeah I love Papa he's such an awesome human being oh, yeah. and uh and he he's one of the oldest guys playing the one position um and but he's just a great soldier and he would come to the Ironman's practice and just stand on the sidelines hoping to get reps in just you know just always being ready always ready to go and eventually got some reps and did good enough that they got him more reps and then you know finally ended up being on the team and uh, and so that and and you just have to create those those solutions for you. In fact, there it's it's a little bit different of a, of a parallel. But you know, me and Alex Frazier, when we were out on the road, one of the, the sayings that we would always say that kind of just evolved organically um, is that you know we'd be in one city or something bad would ha- something would happen. We'd be lost trying to find a place to get to, or you know we're just trying to figure our way to something or whatever it was. But but it came up enough that it started to become something that I would say in other realms and, and draw that and bring that over into something else. And that saying was no matter how bad things were or whatever was going on, it would always be you know something like he'd either bring something up or I'd bring something up, and then the other one of the you know then we'd say to each other, a solution will present itself. 
If you want something mm. bad enough and if you have the right mental mindset, a solution will present itself. If you just start heading in the right direction, you know, I mean, and there, it would, again, it wouldn't matter whether we were lost and we're trying to find somebody or whatever it was. If you just go on that journey, you know, the, the path will open and make itself available to you or you just make your own goddamn path. You know, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. either sometimes way, either way, sometimes you have to. And then, and I think but, you just uh, uncovered a, a really, a really poignant um, strategy of dynasty that I, I think I'm going to take away from this conversation as well. Just, just seeing, just watching them play, the, the solution will present itself. Yeah, I, I think that I'm going to go back on some tape. So I, I thank you for that, that undercover thing. No, no problem. But it, it's, it's so true, man. I mean, it's, you know, so anytime I, I will say that to myself as a mantra, I'm kind of a big believer in mantras. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, if you, you know, if, if I can't, like, let's say I'm working on a piece of voiceover or I'm working on, you know, a concept for something, whatever it is, and I'm stuck um, and resistance is weighing heavy on me or if just resistance is weighing heavy on me, because that's a daily battle. That is something that, I mean, God, dude, Pressfield's so right about that. And, uh, and, you know, we had spoke about that through text too, but, you know, and you had brought up a, a really interesting point about how, you know, and for people that are unfamiliar with this, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, essentially there's a, a writer named Stephen Pressfield and he's written tons of badass war books. If you like war books, read his work, dude, his work, especially is, if you like paintball, you better like war books. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so his, you know, he wrote about, uh, one of his favorite or one of my favorite books of his is, uh about the battle at Thermopylae. It's called the Gates of Fire. It's much better than 300. I mean, 300 is like watching a moving painting. Um, don't get me wrong, 300 is badass. But uh, but Pressfield's, you know, his work, which so I remember when I was listening to Rogan's podcast and and, uh, um, and they started, him and uh, Ari Marcus were talking about Pressfield. It was like, Pressfield this. And when Pressfield said this, and I was like, and then I was like, man, are they talking about the same Pressfield that wrote all those badass war books? And sure enough, he wrote this book called The War of Art. And I advise everyone I talk to and we start talking about this sort of thing to go and pick this book up and read it. Um, it's about winning your inner creative battles. And, uh, and it's specifically kind of it's, it's kind of sort of targeted to writers. But um, but man, it, it, the principles apply regardless of whatever it is you're trying to work on. And, uh, and yeah, and, and the thing that he talks about is resistance is, uh, basically this like cosmic force keeping you from doing what you're supposed to, what you're here to do, your dream, uh, whatever your, your, your talent laden ability is, whatever it is, whether that's going to be to cure cancer, create, you know, the hyperloop that's going to take us to London in six minutes, um, <laughs> colonize Mars, write the next great American novel, become the next Led Zeppelin, whatever it is, you know, but, and that's why Dynasty has been so, so successful is because instinctually those kids, not kids, not 30 years old, but those guys have been so wet. They've done so good at harnessing the muse and defeating resistance through just, you know, middle fingers in the air, sometimes taking this from, you know, this team and learning this morphing into a certain, you know, whatever it is. But again, it's that whole, having that mantra of a solution will present itself, you know? So and um, and I, I don't know, I'm just a big believer in that stuff because I think it works, you know. I mean, even if it's I mean, like... In a game of, of complete willpower, I, I think that these kind of ideas are worth more than, I mean, potentially snap shooting and doing regular drills like that. People, people that have that mental tenacity will definitely beat someone that has been, um, has been doing those running and gunning drills over and over again. Dude, I used to say that all like if I was, and it's funny, 
And uh, it kind of goes back to that quote you said, which I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about. Sure. I call it I call it the Laval's famous quote because it's like the first <laughs> oh, it's time. Famous now, okay. Well, to me, I, it's basically <laughs> look, dude. I, I interview paintball people for a living, you know. So right, right. Um, I talk to a lot of paintball players have for a long time, and very rarely does somebody give me an answer where it really stands out so much that I read it to everyone that I tell anyone about that, I, that I'm like, <laughs> "Yo, did you just hear Nick Laval's badass quote? Check us out, sick." Um, but. Uh, um, but it's, it's dude, sna- snap shooting, the skill, the fundamental skills of paintball are incredibly important, but relatively easy to teach. It, it is the mental mastery of the moment that is so much more potent when utilized properly. And so if I had, you know, let's say I was heading into a game and I learned this trick cause this is what the older dudes did to me. But, uh, you know, I would go up and try to straight mind fuck whoever it was that was going to be in front of me, you know, especially if he was mm-hmm. younger and I would just go up to him and I'd say, yeah, man, um, I know where you're going. I know you're going to that 50 and that's fine. Cause even if I don't shoot you off the break, I'm going to shoot you out of your bunker, you know, laughing of course, you know, Absolutely. Um, yeah. but then, uh, but I would, but I would really think that in my head, if there was some, you know, really balling ass little kid who was five foot tall and a midget and ran like he was a little squirrel, you know, I'm, I know he's going to be hard to shoot going to that damn bunker. But mm-hmm. I would, in my mind, I would picture myself shooting him out of that spot once he made it in there. And, you know, and then you just get good at that. But, um, but it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, those are important things because like you said, dude, I mean, that's why paintball is the best sport ever, because it doesn't matter if you're a, uh, if you, if you run the fastest four in the world or you're the biggest dude with the best shot, it all comes down to that, uh, that believing in, in following through with that, that dream of I'm going to shoot this guy out. Yeah, no, it's, it's very true. I, and I agree. I mean, it's such a, it's just such a fascinating look because basically what paintball forces what's in you to become outside of you, you know, so you get to, and that's why I like watching the games and uh, that's why I'm, I'm interested in, and it's, you know, and there's this, and it, but it's also one of those things and I think that's what we need to educate people about because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not like people uh, like, yeah, they may be tuning in just to watch paintball, but that's not why I'm not, I'm not there just to watch one team A shoot at team B. You know, mm-hmm. like if, if that, if team A is particularly amazing or something, I mean, dude, I've seen so much paintball, but that's not it for me. That's not what gets me off anymore. You know, what gets me off is that, dude, you have this really, it, it you are forced. You're it's, you know, it's that, it's the test that we always talk about. But what happens is that test is this, is this tournament game and all the parameters and all the rules are there and everything's set. And it's just, that guy's amazing and you're supposedly amazing. And you're going to see who's going to pass this particular test and to see what happens out there and, and, and then all, not only that, but being in, in a paintball life and being in the sport and, you know, it really kind of brings out what lives inside your soul, which most, and I think that's why it grabs a hold so hard and why, Definitely. you know, people get so addicted to it once they start playing and they can't, it's hard to explain to other people and, you know, why we always say like, oh, people just don't get it. They don't get it. And because, yeah. you know, I was but, actually thinking about something that, uh, that we were talking about over text when you were talking about how, uh, or I, I don't know what the exact quote was, but it got me to to think about how every point in a match is almost like reliving your life over and over again. Because you you literally die after each point or during each point, whether you make it all the way to the end or you only make it halfway. But the way that you live throughout each one of those is is a lifetime in itself. The way time slows down, the way that you get to make all these decisions, and it's like you say, uh, paintball puts years on your life. And I think a big part of it is living those lives over and over and over again. You're, you're 
not only during practice but during an event when you're you, you're constantly forced to face yourself and and how you're going to face opposition. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Paintball puts years on life. I mean, have you seen the gray in my beard, bro? It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's distinguished. It's distinguished. Uh, yeah, that's what I. That's what I. It's funny. That's what I keep trying to tell myself too. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it, it only demands respect. You know, it's like it's like a it's like an old school Ironman jersey or something like that. <laughs> no, but I, dude, I totally agree. I mean, it's. You know, I mean, because I mean, think of it's funny because that's what the game is about. And it's, very, you know, I mean, we paint this, you know, we paint this pretty picture. It's like, oh, you know, and, and this is why I get really sick and hear tired of, you know, talk about comments I get tired of hearing is that you know, those guys that are like so stickler for the paint. It's like the same dudes that really love a, a car because of its paint job. Dude, I don't give a <laughs> shit what color the car is. I do not How care. How does it drive? Yeah. How does it drive? What's the experience like? What's this? I mean, how what's the engineering went behind the car? That's what's interesting. You know, yeah. so, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, dude, we're shooting guns at each other. <laughs> that, yeah, right. that is what we are doing. Like, sure, it may say marker on the packaging, and that's what, you know, we try to tell the world. But at the same time, like, let's just call a spade a spade, dude. We're playing war here, all right? And it's a giant metaphor, and the metaphor is, if you had a gun and I had a gun, and yes, they're just filled with paint, so no one's really going to get hurt. Your ego might get hurt a little bit, but... Let's go find out who would win in a gunfight. And that's paintball. And that's why it has a mass appeal. And that's why, like, if, you know, Hurricane Katrina came through and wiped out, at, if all the, t- the, all the tournament people in the world were all in the same place at the same time and a hurricane came through and wiped it out, which, you know, the paintball would still exist because of that I fundamental... Mean, you mean Galveston? Yeah, exactly. Okay, Just pain, okay. painting the picture of what Galveston was like for everybody. Um, but uh, but the, because it just has a base, just primal draw... And, and it really is, you know, you go out there and, and that's a, I love how you put that. I mean, you know, you, you really are. Yeah. You, you metaphorically die every point if you didn't win that point, but it's how did you live that life? What decisions did you make? Did you try to make proactive? I mean, first of all, did you work within the context of the team itself? Did you implement the game plan that you spent hours working on? How much homework did you do behind the scenes to know what's going on within that life? And then how did you act in that pressure situation? I mean, that's a fucking giant test right there. And it happens every single point that you play in a competitive paint. It doesn't matter what division you're in. That happens every single point. And it's fascinating, especially if you know how guys got there. So, you know, for anyone that wants to see what happens, like, for instance, you have now have a, I mean, have a really interesting story. And what is going to happen to you on Impact in 2014? Nobody knows, you know, right. just the fates. And so, you know, it's, it's, that's, that to me is what makes it really, really interesting. But I do love the way that you put that. It's like how, cause that's how you're defined, you know? Absolutely. And uh, it's, it's how you define yourself to yourself, you know, like any, you can walk back to the pit and anyone can yell at you for a stupid decision you make, but it, any, any pro or any player I've ever played with definitely thinks about it further than, than the words of anyone else. So just like, say when life ends there's only one one maker you gotta gotta meet and that's your own conscience yeah ooh, that's a whole nother do you think that like what is that what you think happens when you die i mean why not right uh if you i think that every everyone has a uh feeling of what they think's right and wrong and no one else can change their opinion of that so if there is a judge why not yourself yeah it's like uh aubrey marcus's uh 
trips to the uh, medicine men in West Africa. Um, the, the warrior poet. Yeah. Good, good, good guy. Yeah. That guy. So you want another awesome podcast, follow uh, Aubrey Marcus's sure. stuff and his sure. uh, quite mind blowing adventures. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, that's again, well, we're, I mean, we're, we are running out of time. That is, uh, that's like a whole, maybe we'll, maybe we'll have to check in when we check in with you next year or not next year, but the, further on in this year, maybe we'll have to have that podcast. All right. Sounds good. We'll Hopefully, uh, get, invite him, invite him. I'd love to meet that guy. I, yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, when I hear Rogan and, uh, and, and Aubrey Marcus and, and I've seen this out there a little bit, but it's like one of the, there'll be this like constant complaint about this generation that doesn't have, which, you know, it's like between, we, between those two, um, they it's definitely come up like the the I think it was it was the last one that he was on but they were talking about uh about how which is why why MMA is interesting you know because mm-hmm. it it creates a test for you you know and so and mm-hmm. paintball is very similar to that um which we just expounded on greatly but uh you know then that's I think that I would yeah I I I've actually been thinking about uh somehow getting in contact with Aubrey Marcus and being like hey you know I I don't know if you've ever heard about paintball before, but let me explain this test to you. And I think this is one of those things that, um, you know, in this, he would appreciate. Yeah, I I think so. You know, because it, it, it you know, I'm going to reach out to him first. We'll see who's wearing a hashtag powerful (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah, I think actually, um, I think, uh, Rich Telford is sponsored by on it. You know what? I, I actually talked to him about that and he was on the honor roll for a little while and he got taken off and I, I don't know why I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask any questions, but he's not on there anymore. So I think that there's a uh, paintball spot to be filled. And anyone out there listening, I, I call it right now. I have dibs. <laughs> yeah, you need to get on that nootropic, son. Hey, I, I alpha brain all day. Yeah, no, it's uh, so I kind of you had said something I thought was interesting. I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit as about sure. um you know, when, when you go, you're saying that when guys are out there and they're operating at a high level, that they're looking at the game, um, more, you know, what happens inside a a player's head, you know, like as opposed to what their, their ability to say, tell a teammate or say, and someone in an interview were to ask them, but because you're here and this is the whole reason of this damn podcast is that I would like to, you know, what, what is going through your head? You know, I mean, what are you thinking about when you're out there playing points or before a big points about to start or, you know, I mean, what 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 are you thinking about? Is it kind of are you are you consciously making decisions out there? Or are you operating at a you know subconscious level where you are trying to you know use all the skills that you have put together and then just play the game as it comes? Excuse me, as it comes or you know I think here? I think that question actually sparked a little epiphany of um, as I said before I always try to preach make good decisions and I think that uh, scientifically just just biologically paintball is like how we're going to react to the flight or fight response. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, whether you're going to go forward into the enemy or you're going to, uh, whether you're going to sit back and let them come to you. And I think that, um, for me personally, I am all about making the good decision. You know, um, I, I try to, at least, I mean, obviously you're, you're fighting adrenaline, you're fighting coaches, you're fighting teammates, but for me, the thrill comes from making the right decision at the right time to be able to, to not even have to think back on the last point because you just know that you made all the best decisions you could possibly make. And that's, that's where I try to keep my head at. How would you relate that to somebody that was, say, you know, D3 player, 
um, or even just a casual player wanting to improve their game, how would you take that answer and, and try to have them apply it within a real-time situation, a real-game situation? Um, I mean, it's, it's slightly more complicated than just being able to uh, act right away, but I would say always play the odds. Um, for example, uh, if you are a snake player and your coach yells highway, especially in D3, there's going to be the, the odds are that that player is actually coming down the highway and you're going to need to position your body in the way that you snap out of your bunker so that you're going to be able to shoot that player and also protect yourself. So um, I always try to try to say play the odds in the fact that you should have the ability to thank you. You should have the ability to um, kind of see a situation outside of itself and be able to make the same decision decision over again. Uh, it gets a little bit different when you get into pros because most pros know what the odds are and they're going to try to trick you, uh, like same example basically, where you are a snake player and someone's going to run the highway and someone yells highway and you're going to come up in that same exact position to where you would in D3 to where you're going to protect yourself. And a pro is going to probably cut on the inside right before that. But whatever division you are, I mean, Greg Pauly had a great interview um, maybe a year ago or two years ago about talking about what you learn in each division. And you need to look at all the people around you, all your peers, and find out what is the, the right thing for those people to do. And you need to play those odds. Yeah, that's, that is a pretty good way to put it because that is true. It's just I think that the processing time is something that increases uh, as you move up through the ranks Um almost to the point where, you know, um, it, it was funny because I, I just, as you were talking about that specific move is that, because you'll see that sometimes a guy will, you know, start his move down the highway, knowing that the coach is going to yell highway, but in his mind, you, he will have already kind of pre-planned that as soon as he hears highway from that pl- opposing player's coach, that he's going to now try to run down the highway, he's going to cut inside or outside definitely, and then now definitely. run down. And we, you know, it's like straight rope-a-dope. And it made me think of, uh, it made me think of um, like, you know, and everyone has this. This is actually something um, that I wanted to ask you, and, and I kind of want to do a series on this. But basically, like the best move you ever had, or like whatever your best, one of your best favorite moves was. move. Yeah, you know, just that's, something that's that was series. something that's just ridiculous. Something that anyway, I remember there was this one game that I was playing with the Ironman, and it was on. Uh, we were on this like hut field, so this is back in the woods. Um, we were in Nashville, and. Uh, playing a tournament against Rage, I think, and we had lost a bunch of bodies, and uh, I think it was like three on seven or something. I mean, we were, we were getting pretty bad, and, and I was in this house. It was like literally like you know a walk-on field that you would play with like a bunch of different houses and bunkers, and like it was a very right. chaotic field, which actually made this move even possible. And so I, I know I'm getting roasted on my right-hand side. Like my whole right-hand side's completely blown. I'm the only guy left on this it's side. It's going to happen. There's three dudes in front of me, you know? Like I know that I'm, I'm in a very, very precarious situation. My death is coming, and... You know, it's like you said, you know, I mean, how, how did you live that life? And I think that that's something that I never thought of it that way. I mean, I think subconsciously that's why I fought so hard when we were down bodies, but also it was a very, because it's just, it's like a video game, man. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, barring some sort of like tweak your knee, I mean, you're going to make it, you're fine. You're going to be fine. And if you are, you know, if you really want a great story out of it, then you need to try to do something, you know, dynamic. And, and so anyway, but. Exactly. So wait, a little, little side note here. Like when, um, when we used to have tryouts, my, 
the number one thing I would look for right away for anybody is when they were down bodies, whether they fought back or whether whether they were afraid to die. And uh, I always cross people off my little clipboard list if if the the prospect of playing um, more bodies versus their less bodies frightened them. Yeah, that would yeah that'd get you a big X on my clipboard too because that's a that's a symptom of a mindset and mm-hmm. uh, and that is unfortunately one of the hardest things that mentality is the hardest thing to teach in paintball guts gumption whatever man we call it a bunch of different like yeah exactly straight life but uh but yeah no totally man I mean you have to again I I would I, those situations were always I, I felt free kind of I didn't feel like that was when it, you're not supposed to win those situations exactly you're not supposed off. to win man the pressure there's no pressure there if it's two is on that the, five uh, the the Yosh interview you're you're going for oh is it, that was awesome I can't remember the I, I can't remember I think it was podcast, it was a dynasty but. player how they were talking about how they play uh bodies down or uh no penalty points penalty points yeah maybe we Yosh just I, I really liked having that conversation. So if you haven't listened to the Yosh podcast, you totally should go back and listen to it. If you want to listen to a master gunfighter talk about his trade, then listen to Yosh talk about what he does. But uh, but yeah, that was a good one. Um, so sorry, uh, your lines are crumbling on your right, and you know that you're down, and you got to fight back. Continue. Yeah, love it. Thank you for setting it up. So yeah, so it's uh, and it's and there was like also there was like I'm on the the tape where you know, we used to call it tape. People still do kind of a little bit. It's just sidelines, but there's actually literally used to be tape separating the field, so that's why it was called yeah. the tape line, and uh, that's where that name came from. So, uh, but I try not to say that in the in the, uh, in the webcast anymore because it's confusing. Sideline is so, but I will sometimes in- just instinctually go back to it anyway. So there's a shit ton of people there watching. We're getting our asses kicked, and uh, and we this was like a pivotal time for the Ironman because we you know we're we're supposed to be rebuilding and. And uh, we hadn't really been, you know, this is one of my first tournaments on the team. And, and my place on the team was still, no, wait, this was in, yeah, this was 90, early 99. Um, so anyway, so here, here comes, so it's, so, but it's the, my right side's completely falling. Dudes are coming up in center. I can see them. I just can't shoot them because they're now hiding and I'm going to die at any point. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm maybe 45 seconds from getting riddled in my back. So I'm like, all right, well, I need to create an opportunity here for me. But the only way that's going to happen is if I can beat the guy in front of me in a gunfight because he's the one that he's the closest guy to me. And, and we were literally having a snap shooting contest back right. and forth. So one that's at a time. One yeah. At a time. Yeah. It's got to be right. So I'm like, all right. So and, and I'm and all this information about what my current state and my team state, and this is a 10 man too. So, you know, we already had seven guys die. I don't even know, to be honest, who's left. I'm still listening, trying to hear what's, what's going on over there. And, uh, but I realized that if I don't push forward, that's it, it's over. So, and the only way to do that is to try to shoot the guy in front of me. So basically I bait him into a, in, into a, into a gunfight, um, and, and really kind of come, you know, when you, when you have a guy in front of you in your bunker and you, mm-hmm. uh, you you are in engaging in a gunfight, a snapshot battle back and forth, and you put the guy in, and then you know he's going to come back out, and he's just going to head check though because you're shooting the hell out of his bunker. So mm-hmm. he's but he's got a head check. So he head checks and see, and as he head checks, I literally like lunge all the way out of my bunker and make him look like oh he's going to come run me. So he now then sets <laughs> up, he sets up on that side to trade out with me. So I then turn all the way back around come around, stab him in the side, run right past him, 
and I run on the inside, and the, his 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 middle guy's like back player was now down the tape trying to sport him in this gunfight. Uh, so I uh -oh. come through, and, and as I breach the open area, uh, the, there's now two guys. One, there's two guys in front of me. I, I've, I've now completely given up on this. I may get stitched up the center from the center at any point, but it doesn't matter. I got to go. So then. So then I come up to the next guy, shoot him in the side, and as I shoot him in the side, and I now take his spot, and I start engaging in a gunfight with the last guy who's left alive, and then rope-a-dope the last guy, too, by doing it the opposite way, and, uh, and end up shooting that guy. Um, we ended up, like, I grabbed the flag and uh, didn't have enough time to hang it um, as I was uh. trying to go. I was trying to go and shoot the rest of the dudes in the back, but I didn't hang it. But it was one of those moves that it, it all happened so fast and and it always it, it was so immediate yeah. it's it's almost like a, a, like underappreciated it's like it's like that that best joke of the night that you don't get until you, you wake up the next morning and you're like that was a great joke yeah you know it was that was like you describe it all now but it happens in a quick second and if you're a d3 player and you're looking for tips i mean you should have wrote that down it was it would to it's totally it was one of those like looking back on it it was but it was one of those plays that you know, you would never, that's not something you plan. It just mm -hmm. has to happen. And and I remember after that game is, had finished, I was like, I felt like in my head, I just like, uh, you know, when you've like finished an achievement in a video game. Um, <laughs> you and, saw the uh, the uh, top right corner yeah. come up with a little trophy. Yeah, it was, it, was one of, it was one of those things. And I was like, all right, man, that that was kind of cool. I want to try to do that again. That was that was sweet. But um, the, the moment when you, uh, you honestly thank your muse. Yeah, no, I I, I got to give the muse major assist on that one for uh, <laughs> for helping me try to come up with a creative way to deal with about when I was about to die badly and in no, front of I think in I think front muse assist should should become a uh, term. <laughs> the muse assist, totally. Yeah. So, what about you? What do you have any crazy stories for me? Like, what was the craziest move you've ever pulled off? I mean, honestly, I couldn't tell you, and I I know that's such a cop out answer. Boom. Boom. I know, I know. How uh, I just, I, I'm always about the next one though. I'm, I'm like the worst. Bullshit answer. Bullshit know, answer. Come on, give, right, come on, right, give me something. So, you got it. Come on, like, what did you have? Like a four on one you pulled off, or like it, this, it could even be in like a scenario game. I have like a right. whole different set of scenario stories that are ridiculous and awesome. That's for another podcast. But uh, come on, you got to give me something. We're right, almost so done with I our mean, time. Last, like, clo close, last, close us out with a badass Nick Laval move. This isn't even going to be as badass as as it should be. I mean, I, I won a three-on-one against Aftershock last event, Tight. but that wasn't even it. Um, there was this – it was actually – do you remember the game where Max Trailer came out of the box against Infamous and there was all that hoopla and craziness? Kind of, sort of. All right. Um, at the Towards the end of that point, it was a two-on-one. And I was, or no, no, it was a two on two. And I, myself and Greg Lazat versus Drew Templeton and Chris Sosin. Max Trailer was in the box and we were trying to get him out. And I'm all about trying to think outside the box because I, as I was saying, playing the odds is, is what you should do. And I think that most pro players know that they shouldn't play the odds because that's what the, the, uh, the players against them are supposed to be playing, mm -hmm. if that makes sense at all. But uh, I was, I'm at an advantage where I'm tall enough where those the new PSP cans I can actually jump over and shoot and see over when I jump. And uh, Drew Templeton tried to pull this move 
and he he's a fast guy. He's a good good paintball player. He came down on my right side, and I knew he was going to try to bunker me. And uh, at it was one of those moments where I'm sure you know where you don't even have to be looking a certain way. You just feel like the pressure's off, and you know that there's something kind of uh, a foot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I jumped over the top, and I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm six two, but I, when I jump over the top of a can, I can only really get one paintball off. So I jump over the top, and I see him coming down on me, and I I get my one ball off, and I shoot him right in the face, and I come down, and I was just like, yes, I got him tight. And he comes around, and he still shoots me in the back, and we both get called out, and I, we end up losing that match anyway because then Sosin ends up shooting Greg, and Max come out of comes out of the box, and there's that weird thing where like, did Sosin hang the flag or not? Yes, or whatever. You can go back on the on the footage, and you can make your own decision. But uh, I'll leave it at that. And but either way, I came off being like I knew it. I knew it, and I got him. Actually, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm not even gonna upgrade that. I, I forgot about this moment. If, if that's fine. If we're not running out of time, we don't really have a time limit. Um, so you okay. can you just keep going. I, I got I got one more, and I'll leave it at that one. Uh, this was last event versus uh, aftershock. Um, and as we were talking about before in your story, where it was like one of those things where you don't even realize it until afterward when you when you talk about it, how how great of a move it was. Um, at the end of the match, Markowski came up to me and was like, "Hey, man, you have my number all day." Because we actually played two matches against them, and I was I was one I was heads up with him both matches over and over again, and we ended up winning both matches. But. Um, after he said that, I, I kind of went back and thought, like, like, did I have his number all day? Like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. That's nice of him to say, because I mean, most people just walk away and try to figure out what they did wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, over and over again, I was just catching him in the right spots and stuff like that. But there was this one certain moment where I think it was a tie game, and they were up a body, and. Both Carl and I were in the 40 Doritos mirrored of each other. But uh, knowing him after those last two matches, I was like, he's going to come get me. I just know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. So I'm on the inside of my bunker, not on the tape line where he's going to come get me because I know that that's the the route he's going to take. Um, and his his back guy is just pounding my bunker, pounding my bunker. And I... I waited until I knew that he was pounding my bunker in a certain way that Carl was going to come get me. And the guy was kind of just like three ball, like three bursts in me, three bursts in me, three bursts in me, waiting to make sure I didn't come out. And then at some point he, he put it into PSP and he was just full on shooting my bunker. And that's when I decided to snap that guy in as fast as I could. And as I snapped him in, I made sure to come up on the inside and wrap, and I caught Carl right out in the open as he was blazing down the side of the field trying to come get me. And I caught him. And I went back into my bunker, and I was like, that was probably the best shot I've ever taken in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love those shots. Yeah. Yeah, I love those moments where you're just – you know, you have like a brief millisecond to reflect. Yeah, exactly. And it's just that. I mean, it's literally just a millisecond, but it's – you know, because in the time, moment you yeah. can die happy in that exact moment, being yeah. like, "I made that right choice right then." Yeah, oh, there's yeah, there's so many of those. Those are those are definitely uh, those are the reasons 
those moments are the reasons that you put in all that time improving your skills so that when the moment comes, you can just let, let it all, let the show go on, you know? And it's, uh, it's, a, it's yeah, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's definitely a beautiful thing. Well, Hey, thank you for, uh, for sitting in with us. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You're good. You're great company, Matty. You're great company. <laughs> you too, man. You too. We'll, we'll have to do it again for sure. Um, and, uh, really looking forward to seeing, you and uh, and the rest of the new Impact crew. Um, I think Ryan Martin's a big pickup for Impact as well. Ryan's a Absolutely. proven pro player. You know, we've seen him play on on multiple high level teams and, and do work out there. So the one, I guess, the closing question I'd like to ask just is more sure. of a positional thing. Um, where do you see yourself fitting? Because I think that looking at the the pickups for um, for Impact and you know, paintball is very much a positional thing. Mm-hmm. Um, though some guys are more more versatile than others, and I feel that Impact is a pretty versatile squad, but Impact does seem a little heavy on twos and threes right now. Though mm-hmm. Justin Corn, the Justins are phenomenal. So you know you guys got some solid the, ones. The Justins, the, I like that. The, yeah, the Justins. Um, but how do you kind of see it shaping up? I mean, have you? Sp- I don't know if you guys have talked about this or any. That's when you were talking to Dave about, or you know, I, I didn't. I mean, it's it's been really brief and a little bit ambiguous, but not on the snake side. Okay. No, um, honestly, uh, probably either first or second into Doritos, and I know I'm a I'm a bigger, taller guy, so uh, depending on the field, I would assume uh, like. First or second into Doritos. That, that's my my guess. And honestly, I'll play wherever the team will will succeed. So if if it's if both Justins are injured and I have to go first into Snake, we'll do it. But uh, I would say if everyone's healthy, first or second into Doritos. Interesting. I like it because. You know, we've seen you in a different position other than that. I mean, yeah, you know, occasionally someone's going to die. I mean, it's not like you're never over there, but uh, you're kind of all over the place when you're playing yeah. for 187. Um, but, yeah, that's that's a that's a good challenge, man, you know, to, to step onto a team like Impact and, you know, a team that is picking you guys up because they want to slot you in. I mean, Impact took second at the last two events, and they want to head into this year and, and try to win events this year because mm-hmm. they were so close last year. So. You know, it's it's a good story. It's gonna be good, man. I'm uh I'm looking forward to to seeing how things shape up. So, just uh you know, keep me updated, man. Let me know what's going on and uh, and how things are looking for you guys. Is uh, are you gonna be doing any traveling? Are you headed overseas? I know that's something. I don't think you've done that before, right? I mean, um, I actually did play a Millennium last year, um, with uh, Jason Wheeler's team in uh, Nice, France, and that was awesome. And I'm going to try to play as many events as I can this, this season because paintball's awesome. And I won't be able to do it forever. You know, I can sit on my couch for a long time, but I would, I would love to play paintball for as long as I can. Nice. How, how old are you? I'm a, a ripe old age of 24. Well, Nick Laval, <laughs> you are wise beyond your years, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for sitting in here in the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. Best of luck next season, which is uh, going to be honest. Before we bat an eye, uh, March 14th through 16th is the first PSP event. Make sure to uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, all our social networks, and help PBA spread the paintball gospel. You know, and we just listen For to sure. uh, an interesting conversation, man. Nick, you're uh, a great conversationalist, and um, and I, yeah, can't see, can't wait to see what you guys do next year. So thank you guys out yeah. there in the in, the land of the interwebs for uh, giving us a little bit of your time. And uh, we will see you on the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Peace.